We're answering your questions today. Plus, we're doing something a little extra, and that is we're taking a look at some of the snaps and stats from the Giants' win over the Philadelphia Eagles. That's all coming up on today's episode of the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name's Patricia Trena, and happy Tuesday to everybody. So happy to have you with us. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day, or if you're watching us on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And if I may, I'd like to give you an update on YouTube. We have I have crossed the 900 subscriber mark. I think I'm at about 920 as of this recording. So I am 80 subscribers away from the Golden Lollipop. So if you watch this show regularly on YouTube, haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button and click that little bell so that you get notifications. In addition to doing the daily shows Monday through Friday, I'm also doing updates as they are necessary. So Plenty of stuff here on the Lockdown Giants podcast. And of course, on today's show, it is a Twitter Tuesday. I will be answering the questions that you guys and gals sent in. But before we get to that, I'm going to do something a a little new, something I don't really do that often on the show. But I was putting together some notes for an article I was about to write. And I said, you know what? Let me just kick this over to the podcast because I think maybe this might be more of interest to the podcast listeners and that is, I went in and I looked at some statistics from the Giants um, game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I looked at snap counts and I have some takeaways that I want to talk about. And as always, if you have comments or questions, drop them in the, the uh, comments section below or send them to me at Podcast at gmail.com. And I will, of course, respond to as many as I can. All right. So I want to start off by talking about some of the playtime percentages Um, which is the snap counts from the Eagles game. And there were a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. And I want to talk about them. The first is on offense. Pharaoh Cooper, wide receiver, played on 35% or uh, I'm sorry, 35 of the total 60 snaps, which is 58%. John Ross, on the flip side, only got 11 snaps or 18%. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you saw the game, I thought John Ross with his straight ahead speed, far better and far more worth having on the field than Farrow Cooper. Now, that's not to to take away from what Farrow Cooper brings to the table. He's an excellent return specialist who was, uh, I think, signed to be that C.J. Board replacement. C.J. Board, of course, being on injured reserve with the, um, the shoulder ailment. But. I don't understand what the coach's thinking is in not playing John Ross as often as Farrell Cooper. Now, the only thing I can think of is that John Ross is still not 100%. He did have um, some injuries. I know he was on the injury report. Believe it, if it wasn't this past week, I know it was the week prior. So maybe something is still nagging him. But you know what? You watch John Ross in action, and the guy's got speed. And 
just, you know, and looking at the stats from the game the other night, John Ross caught two passes for 28 yards, which is an average of 14 per pass. And uh, Cooper had one catch for six yards, an average, obviously, of six yards per catch. Now, I don't know about you. I know it's not that big of a difference, but I'll take the 14 yards per catch over the six yards per catch any day. And John, John Ross, you know, the, the good thing about him is, again, that straight line speed. Now, the bad thing, injuries. So maybe that is why Farrell Cooper is getting more snaps. But can anybody explain to me why Farrell Cooper is out there on the field on third downs and sometimes Kenny Holiday is not? I still haven't quite figured that out. I mean, maybe somebody out there has an answer. Um, if you do, I sure would be interested in knowing because you would think you'd want Kenny Galladay out there, who is a speedster. And by the way, speaking of Kenny Galladay, um, seven targets, three receptions, 50 yards, 16.7 uh, average with a long of 18. And uh, matter of fact, I'm looking at the long, uh, the long passes for each of the receivers and uh, John Ross had the longest of, I'm, I'm sorry, not John Ross. Evan Ingram had a 20-yard long. John Ross, a 19-yard long. Kenny Galladay targeted three times in the red zone, which was supposed to be a tweak that the Giants were going to make. And Kenny Galladay uh, was 0 for 3. So, um, yeah, I, I, I question some of the passes that were thrown to Kenny down there. I think Kenny Galladay is at his best when he has a jump ball to go up for, especially in those, the, the red zone and the shorter areas. And I'm not so sure he had that in the game against the Eagles. I think the Giants kind of um, outsmarted themselves a little bit when it came to Kenny Galladay. But, uh, you know, I'd like to see them kind of iron that out with their receivers moving forward um, in, in these next or these last few games with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. But let me get back to the snap counts here. Um, so, um, I mentioned Farrell Cooper having more snaps than John Ross, which, uh, again, unless there's an injury involved, which there might very well be, I don't get that. Another thing I did not get, um, Eli Penny only got five snaps on offense. Now, I get it. Saquon Barkley is back. Saquon Barkley got uh, 52 snaps or 87% of the snaps. But here's what I see in Saquon Barkley. And I think the Giants are kind of chasing, you know, uh, uh, the end of the rainbow here with with Saquon Barkley. I'm really starting to believe this. Saquon is a feast or famine runner. All right. And if you look at his stats from uh, the Eagles game, he had uh, 13 carries, 40 yards, an average of 3.1 yards per carry. But his long was 32 yards. So take away the 32 yards. And it, he's down to 12 carries, eight yards. All right. That's not very impressive. Now, um, you know, is there, is that ankle still an issue? Possibly. But I've said this before on the show and I'll say it again. I don't particularly care for how Saquon Barkley has been running of late. I think he stops his feet when he approaches the line of scrimmage, doesn't really lower his shoulder and try to push the pile like a Devonta Booker does. That might not be the type of runner he is, but it's still, it drives me crazy because sometimes you just have to take what's there. And I just feel like sometimes by stopping his feet and doing that dancing that he does, 
He's looking for that escape hatch, that open crease to slip through for the home run ball. And it's not always going to be there. The second you stop your feet, that crease that might have been there, you know, previously is gone in a snap. And that's why I sometimes wonder if, if, if that's the reason why uh, Saquon Barkley is a feast or famine type of runner. Just hit the hole and go. You know, I, I, I don't get why he's he's you know, is it because he's been injured? Possibly. Is it because he's still not right? That could be. But I think he's always been that way, even going back to college. And, you know, I I, I don't want to say I'm disenchanted by Saquon Barkley, but right now, if you said to me, would you sign him to a to a long term deal? You know, if he stays healthy, I'm going to say no. I got to see a lot more from Saquon Barkley. And to that end, you know, I mentioned, you know, Eli Penny and, and the snap counts and, and Devonta Booker. Devonta Booker had uh, 10 snaps on offense. I'd like to see Devonta Booker's snaps increase. All right. I've always believed that, you know, okay, Barkley had 52, Booker had 10, Penny had five. Why not create a three-headed monster there? I mean, I, I know Saquon, okay, he's the, he's the elite talent, but maybe you'll get a lot more out of him if maybe you reduce some of what he's doing and reduce some of what you're asking him to do. I mean, I don't know. Is it worth, you know, it's worth a shot at this point, right? I mean, what what's the worst that could happen? Devonta Booker, you know, puts up equal numbers or Eli Penny uh, puts a dent in the rushing yards. I mean, would that be so horrible? I don't know. Okay. Another question I know a lot of people ask me is about Matt Parrott. Matt Parrott got nine snaps against the Eagles, all as a blocking tight end. And people are saying, okay, why isn't Parrott getting snaps with Nate Solder, who has been something of a, a, a problem at right tackle? Now, there's a couple potential reasons here. Number one, I think it could be uh, a matter of Parrott just simply not practicing well at the right tackle spot. Uh, maybe there's inconsistency there to where the coaches say, okay, you know what? We know what we have in Solder. We're still in the playoff hunt. Let's just stick with that. But another point I made in my, um, my takeaways on Giants country is if you remember last year, Joe Judge blasted Doug Peterson, the former Eagles head coach, for compromising the integrity of the game by going to a backup to see what he had, you know, backup quarterback Nate Sudfeld at the time. Is it possible that maybe Judge and his thinking is saying, okay, you know what, now's not the time for me to see what I've got in uh, in Matt Parrott because he hasn't shown me much in practice to where I'm going to move Nate Solder out of the lineup. I mean, that could be a factor in. But again, that ties into the fact that Pear hasn't shown the coaches enough to unseat Solder from that right tackle spot. And that to me is probably the most telling thing in this whole situation, this whole big quote unquote mystery involving uh, the right tackle spot. Hey, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first in life, we're all bound for different things. And with Beachbound.com vacations, you could be bound for adventure, for passion, for discovery, togetherness, or the unexpected. Visit Beachbound.com to find the perfect beach vacation for you, no matter what you're looking for. What are you bound for? Again, visit Beachbound.com today to find out. All right, Giant fans, welcome back. 
to the Lachlan Giants podcast. Patricia Trainer here with you. And I'm going over some stats and snaps from the Giants uh, Eagles game, as well as uh, I have some historical stats from this season that I'm going to talk about in just a minute. And then, of course, coming up, I'm going to be answering your questions here on a Twitter Tuesday. But now let's take a look at a couple things on defense that have kind of stood out to me. All right. The first thing on defense that's really kind of popped out is the return of Lorenzo Carter, outside linebacker. Now, Carter missed three games due to an ankle injury. And of course, last week he was dealing with a stomach virus on top of everything else. And Carter got 43 snaps or 64% of the defense's snaps. And Quincy Roche, who I thought was really starting to show some stuff, some intriguing stuff there, his snaps were reduced to 31 or 46% of the uh, defensive load. Okay, so now let us talk production here. Quincy Roche against the Eagles finished with two tackles, both solo affairs. Lorenzo Carter playing in nearly uh, double the amount of snaps, one tackle, a solo tackle, no sacks. All right, we are now just having finished week 12 and Lorenzo Carter, outside linebacker, has no sacks. I mean, come on. At this point, you're going to tell me, if you're the coaches, you're going to tell me Lorenzo Carter is going to give you a better chance to win than Quincy Roche, who's been more productive and who's been able to get some pressure on the quarterback. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. And I don't understand why um, Lorenzo Carter is back in there when he has basically done very little to justify the amount of snaps he's been getting all season long. Injuries or no injuries, I don't get it. So uh, another one of those great mysteries that uh, only the coaching staff knows the answer to. And even if you ask them the question, they probably won't come right out and say anything, you know, to clarify it. But, hey, the numbers don't lie, right? All right. And in our final defensive snap slash stat count, I've got to talk about this because, you know, I was curious to see what James Bradbury had done, not just against the Eagles, but over the last few games. And I went back to uh, pro football focus and I looked up Bradbury's coverage assignments and starting in week eight, that is when defensive coordinator Patrick Graham assigned Bradbury to cover tight ends, not exclusively, but on occasion he had him line up against tight ends. So Bradbury has now lined up against Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs, Darren Waller of the Raiders, Cameron Brait of the uh, of the Bucks, and Dallas Goddard of the Eagles. And according to Pro Football Focus, he has been targeted against tight ends um, eight times. Anybody care to guess how many receptions he's allowed and how much yardage? You're going to be very surprised at this. I know I was. He has allowed one reception to tight ends, one in eight pass targets for 12 yards, only two yards after the catch, and one first down. That coming to Cameron Bray of the Bucks. That is amazing. That is pretty good production by James Bradbury. But here's the cool thing. Going back and looking at Bradbury's passer rating. With now remember, with a defensive player, the lower the passer rating, the better. 
So ever since Patrick Graham started moving uh, James Bradbury to cover the tight ends, and again, it hasn't been exclusive. It's been in select spots, but Bradbury, and I'll read you off his, his uh, passer ratings here. So um, let me see. Against Kelsey, it was 64.6. Against Waller, 87.5. Against Brait, who again is the only uh, tight end he allowed to catch a ball against him, 101.7. Still not horrible, but, you know, not great. Um, and Goddard, 64.6. All right. So if you have thought to yourself, okay, James Bradbury looks like he's playing better these last few weeks. There's your reason why folks getting him on a tight end. And I think what makes him such a good match for a tight end is a, he's got the size and the physicality, you know, James Bradbury is a very physical player. And I think in the beginning of the year, the defensive scheme kind of took some of that away from him. He was playing so far off the ball and just not able to come up and whack guys around like he is accustomed to doing. That has changed. And, you know, now you've got a a better matchup for him. You know, he's going against taller guys, but not guys who are so, you know, incredibly that much taller than him that it becomes a gross mismatch. And you are seeing James Bradbury these last uh, four games play a lot better because of it. So kudos to defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham for coming up with that solution to help Bradbury, who this year has been struggling big time. And might I also add that Bradbury um, against tight ends has not given up any touchdowns. So that's another uh, big thing. Hey, Giant fans, it's the most wonderful time of year as college football gears up for the playoffs. The NFL playoff race starts to take shape and the NBA and NHL continue to heat up. No matter what sport you like, Bet Online has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag and sign up today using our special promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers that BetOnline has. Visit their site today. Again, that's betonline.ag. Get your 50% welcome bonus with the code locked on. All right, Giant fans, welcome back. You have Patricia Trina here on the Lachlan Giants podcast. And now we're going to get to the Twitter Tuesday part of our show. Not a lot of questions. I mean, guys, I know you've got questions. Please send them in to me so I don't have to, you know, so I can devote an entire show to your questions. But those of you who did submit questions, I'm going to answer them right now on this segment. All right, this question comes from Chris C. who wants to know, what are your thoughts to be considered for the Giants GM job? Um, I'm guessing you mean in terms of, you know, what would be the qualities? So, uh, Chris, I would say pro- the first thing is you've got to have an eye for talent. You know, the GM ultimately is going to make decisions on free agents, on draft picks. Um, the You know, that, that's going to be important a good understanding of the different types of players. You know, you've got to be able to work collaboratively with the head coach, get the coach what they want, but at the same time, be able to put your foot down 
if the coach wants something that just goes against what you believe to be true. All right. That's something I think Dave Gettleman kind of got away from uh, these last uh, last few years. For example, I go back to the James Betcher years and you're going to tell me that uh, that that Gettleman felt that Antoine Bethay was a better candidate than Trey Boston. I'm not buying it. I think that was pretty much getting James Betcher the specific player he wanted. So that's something I think, you know, you want to look for in a GM. Another thing you want to look for is a guy who is honest about their evaluation of the talent. I think you also, as a general manager, obviously you have to have a good understanding and command of the salary cap. And I know teams hire salary cap uh, managers to, to work on that. But at the end of the day, again, the GM is responsible for all that. So that's another characteristic you want you want um, your next GM to have. So I would say an eye for talent, a vision, you know, just, you just can't throw together a roster just like that. You have to work with the coaching staff to get them the types of players that they want, but without, you know, really going crazy and bank, you know, breaking the bank or just, you know, mortgaging the future. Um, The next GM that does come in here, assuming that Dave Gettleman is finished and parts ways with the Giants after this season, that GM is going to have to do it through the draft because the Giants salary cap situation, as I have said numerous times on the show, is bad next year. Really bad. They're going to have to cut guys. And um, I know Joe Judge, the head coach, always says, oh, if it were up to me, I'd bring everybody back. Well, you know what? It doesn't work that way. That's a nice little pipe dream, but it doesn't work that way. So that GM is going to have to have the conviction to say to Joe Judge, sorry, Joe, we can no longer afford to carry Sterling Shepard or or James Bradbury or Kyle Rudolph or whoever. You know, I'm just using those names as an example. And um, at the end of the day, the GM is going to be the final say. Now, when the process goes down, you know, and this is probably um, another question a lot of you have is who's going to make the decision? Is it going to be judge or is it going to be ownership? Ownership is going to make the hire. But judge will be involved in the interview process because it is important that the GM and the head coach work together and work together collaboratively. You can't have a situation where um, kind of like what you had, I guess, back in the, the latter part of the Parcells young years where young was getting players for, for uh, Parcells and he was griping about, you know, look, if I'm going to cook the, the, the recipe, I should be allowed to buy the ingredients. So you can't really have a situation like that. So that's what I think, um, you know, they, they need to do and what I think is going to happen. So thank you for that question, Chris. That was a good question. Okay, let's get to a couple of Twitter questions. Plainview888 wants to know thoughts on Aaron Robinson. I like this kid, plain and simple. I like him. He's he's a physical slot cornerback, a big slot cornerback. And, you know, I've said this time and again, teams, you know, offenses, offenses in particular are getting more creative about who they put in the slot. So it is not uncommon to see a bigger tight end or a bigger receiver to create mismatches. Aaron Robinson is a guy, I think, who can stand up to just about any challenge in the slot. The more experience he gets, the more comfortable he's going to get, 
the slow, you know, the more the game is going to slow down and you're going to see a big difference with him. And that's not to take away from the job that Darnay Holmes has done. Darnay Holmes has played well this year, but sometimes I just think the size works against him. You know, if you put a six foot six guy against a five foot 10 guy, there's no contest there. I'm sorry. You, you, you get them in a jump ball situation, no contest. So uh, for me, the bigger guy um, is, is I think why they brought in Aaron Robinson, who can play a little bit on the outside. I'm not so sure outside is his best position, but as a slot cornerback, kid's good. So I like what I've seen from him so far. All right. Next question comes from um, Grossi Law, who asks, I'm sure Barkley is going nowhere in 2022. However, if next year, Either he is, again, injury prone or healthy, but mediocre for him. Do you agree that the Giants should not sign him to a big contract and quietly admit he is not a Hall of Fame back? Absolutely, George. Um, Right now, I would not sign Barkley to a big uh, contract. Next year, if he has injury issues and he misses games, I would maybe consider franchising him, Um, assuming that, you know, depending on what happens with Daniel Jones, but I would not sign him to a big term deal. I mean, look, we see what's going on down in Carolina with Christian McCaffrey. He can't stay on the field and he was just put on IR this week. All right. After signing a big deal. If I'm the giants, I tread very carefully with Saquon Barkley. And it's not a reflection of his talents, but you've got to be on the field. And as I said earlier in the show, I don't like the way that Barkley seems to be a, a feast or famine type of running back. I would not invest in that. And I know Barry Sanders was like that. Um, I remember Barry Sanders, but I don't think we can quite say that Saquon Barkley is in Barry Sanders' league just yet. So no, I would not resign Barkley to a, to a big deal. Absolutely not. All right. I think we have one more Twitter question. Yes, this one, uh, this one is from Pedro VDM, who writes, Hi, Patricia, for younger Giant fans, can you give an overview of how Daniel Jones's first three years with the team compare with Eli Manning's first three years? Okay, great question. And uh, I had to go back and look this stuff up for you at uh, Pro Football Reference, but I have the numbers here. So let me get those to you. All right. So Eli Manning in his first three seasons, and I'm, you know, obviously this is regular season action, 39 games started, 41 games played, 20 and 19 record as a starting quarterback. Eli um, completed, let me see, um, 734 out of 1,276 pass attempts. That's a 57 completion percentage, 54 touchdowns, 44 interceptions. Daniel Jones thus far, and this isn't counting up to um, the game against the Eagles on Sunday. Daniel Jones has appeared in 38 games with 37 starts, has a record of 12, 25, and zero. He has completed 62.8% of his pass attempts, which uh, breaks down to 796 
out of 1,268 passes for, um, let's see, I have them down for 8,398 yards. I don't think I gave you Eli's yardage. I'll have to go back and get that for you real quick, but I'll throw that up on the screen for you. But Daniel's thrown for 8,398 yards, 45 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. All right. And again, that information can be found on Pro Football Reference if you want to take a look. Daniel Jones's number is slightly better than Eli's, but where Eli topped Daniel Jones in his first three years, more touchdowns. Um, also a, uh, let me see, a better quarterback record, 20 and 19, whereas Daniel, 12 and 25. So I good question. I, I think that was a, a real good question. And I enjoyed researching that for you. So um, interesting to say the least. And, you know, I, obviously Eli, um, his, his stock took off when they brought in Plaxico Burris and he had, you know, uh, he finally got a running game, you know, going with uh, Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw after Tiki Barber left. So skilled position players do help, as does an offensive line, folks. So good question there. All right, Giant fans, that is going to do it for this edition of the Lachlan Giants podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you have questions you want to submit for Twitter Tuesday, the information is in the show notes. You can uh, email them to Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to tweet them to me, send them to uh, at Patricia underscore trainer and tag them Ask P Train so that I can find them. So they show up on the Ask P Train column that I have in my tweet deck. All right. That will do it again for us here on the Lockdown Giants podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen or your first watch of the day. We will talk to you again tomorrow.